Well, welcome everyone to Velocity. It's great to be with you on another Sunday. Man, I miss seeing you all, and I'm looking forward to us gathering again soon. Of course, things are beginning to slowly open up, which is great news. And we're praying for all of you as many of you begin to return to work and others of you are planning your return transitions. And I just want to let you know that Marissa and I think about you. We talk about you. We pray specifically for so many of you by name. I've done my best to touch base and reach out to many of you personally as I can. And I just want to let you know that you're loved. We care about you and we can't wait to see you again. Of course, I'm sure many of you are wondering just when exactly that will be. And what I want to let you know is that we want to return as soon as we can, but it probably won't be as soon as you expect. Your safety is important and the safety of others is important. And the way we do church is important as well. It's important that when we do gather, that church is able to feel like church. We want to minister to your kids in the way that's interactive and engaging. We want to be able to have people gather and connect with one another in the lobby. We want the atmosphere to be one that's exciting, not one that's fearful. So that's why we're going to be intentionally slow as things begin to open up and we look to gather. So that's why we're going to be intentionally slow and we'll communicate with you well in advance when we're able to return to public Sunday morning gatherings. Now, for those of you who are part of our team, whether you're brand new to our online team or you've been part of our team since before we moved all of our worship experiences online, I want to invite you personally to a special Heart and Soul this Wednesday, May 6th. We're going to do it via Zoom and I'll share more in depth about what our plans look like. So look for some information on that on our social media channels as well as an email, and I can't wait to gather with all of our team. It'll be so good. I have a special message I wanna bring you and tell you what we're looking forward to in the future. Now, I hope you're enjoying this new series so far. If you missed last week, which, by the way, why would you have missed last week? I'm not sure uh, what you were doing. I'm not gonna judge, but um, if you missed last week, we started a brand new series of messages called Grace For It. And in this series, we're learning to walk in the supernatural empowerment of the Holy Spirit to thrive in this season. And we started last week by learning to adjust our perspective. I challenge all of you to begin to see the good plans that God has for you as new places he wants to take you, to shift your perspective to see good as new. So I wanna continue with this theme today by looking at some of the writings of Paul. And I want us to begin by jumping right into our theme verse for today's sermon. And then I'm going to give a whole bunch of context on what was happening when Paul wrote this. So this is what Paul said to the church in Thessalonica. You can find it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. He says, You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. See, Paul is looking back on his very brief time with the Thessalonians, saying it wasn't fruitless, even though it wasn't easy. I know our time was short, but it was still successful. And the phrase that jumped out to me this week is in the very first part of the verse where Paul says, our time there was not without results. 
I want to speak to you from this subject today. The results are in. Now, I'm curious when you hear that phrase, if that's encouraging or discouraging. Maybe in this age of heightened awareness around our health, the phrase induces a bit of anxiety as so many people are getting tested and waiting to hear results. And I suppose it depends on the kind of results that you're used to seeing. You see, Paul was a guy that God used in great ways to bring the gospel throughout the world. He planted churches, he raised up leaders, and he wrote so much of the New Testament. He knew what it was like to get results. I mean, the guy was accomplished. Now, we might look at all that he did and all the accolades he had to his name and say that he was gifted. But from his writings, we know that Paul would say he was graced. He actually acknowledged the grace of God in his life so much that he started all of his letters with this phrase, grace to you. In fact, he begins his letter to the Thessalonians this way in the first verse of the first chapter. It says, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. Now, it seems like kind of a strange way to write a letter. But you have to understand that back then, letters would have been written on scrolls. And a letter like this would have easily been three to four feet long. So you wouldn't have wanted to get all the way to the end of the letter, and then you find out it says Publisher's Clearinghouse at the end. So they'd start with who the letter was from so that the recipient would immediately know who was writing to them. And Paul says, hey, me and Sylvanus and Timothy, we're all here and we're thinking about you. And we want you to know that we're asking God to give you peace and we're asking God to give you grace. Now, why would Paul have been saying that? Because the people were going through a difficult time. And he knows that if they're going to be fruitful, they are going to need God's favor. In fact, whenever you're reading one of Paul's writings, it's helpful to remember that they were written to real people with real problems in real situations. So when you recognize that, it helps you understand how what he's writing applies to your life. Now, the reason that Paul is writing to this church is because circumstances outside of his control have prevented him from being with them. So he's writing to them, just trying to express how much he cares about them. In fact, in chapter two, where we read from, he tells them, look, you don't even understand how much we care about you and how we think about you. He says, when we think about you, we actually stop thinking about our circumstances. And the reason he said that is because his current circumstances were not very good. You see, the results of his most recent ministry exploits have not been that fruitful. He's been beaten. He's been thrown in prison. The places that he wanted to go, he couldn't get into. The few times when he did have a chance to preach, he was driven out by an angry mob. He even states how they were treated outrageously in Philippi. So by the time he came to Corinth, where he's writing this letter, he says, I was in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. So Paul has had a rough time. Even though Paul was far away from them at this point, he kept hearing reports of all the good that was going on. And the crazy thing is, is that the Thessalonians wouldn't have thought that there was anything special going on. They thought that they were just living their lives. Whenever you're working on your life, it can be hard to see the progress that you're making. 
And it's hard to see how God is using the little stuff to do bigger things. Sometimes when life gets interrupted, we can get so distracted that we don't even see how we've grown. And that's what this letter tells them. Paul's saying, you guys, do you have any idea how people are talking about your faith? You know, sometimes we're just so focused trying to be a good mom or trying to be a good employee or doing our best on the job or trying to be generous that Paul's like, guess what? God has linked together all these little things and is doing something really big. I keep meeting people and they're telling me, have you heard about these Thessalonians? Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I get a little nervous when I meet people and they tell me, oh yeah, I've, I've heard about you. Like, like sometimes I'll meet someone for the first time and they say, oh yeah, I've, I've heard about you. And my very first thought is like, okay, where did you hear it? And who did you hear it from? Because I can just get paranoid like that. But here's what Paul would have heard from all these people who had interactions with the Thessalonians. He'd heard that they've got their focus on the right things, that they are actively serving God, and he's heard how they were looking forward to the future. Now, this is significant because it would have been in contrast to the situation and the people who were around them. Because every place Paul has gone, he has faced incredible opposition. And here's what you need to know. The opportunity and opposition always go together. In fact, if you're facing some difficulty right now, you can rejoice in that. Because the enemy doesn't attack apathetic people. He doesn't have to. When you're not doing anything, you are sabotaging yourself. You are sitting on your destiny. And he doesn't have to get you to forfeit it by becoming discouraged. If you're not doing anything with the gifts you have anyway, he doesn't need to waste any time trying to stop you. You're doing a good enough job of that on your own. But the moment you make up your mind to advance, you can expect an attack. When God starts moving in your life, when God starts blessing you, when God starts giving you opportunities, you can always count on opposition. So because of all the opposition that Paul was facing, he was only able to be with the Thessalonians for three weeks before he had to leave. He had just met them and he has to exit the scene. And every place he went, problems followed. Can I just tell you that what we see as a limitation, God sees as leverage? Because even though opportunity creates opposition, the truth is opposition always creates an opportunity. You see, God builds our faith upon the very grounds that we've deemed to be hopeless. Paul was heartbroken over not being able to see the Thessalonians, not being able to connect with them, not being able to check up on them. But what seemed to be detrimental, God actually used to be developmental. God used the space to spur them on. Now, Paul didn't realize that at the time because from where he was in Corinth, it looked like he had failed. And anytime you're in a situation where you feel like this is not what was supposed to happen. This was not the dream that you had planned. It'll always be tempting to assess your work as being worthless. But I wanna tell you, even if it doesn't go like you thought it was gonna go, as long as you're doing what God told you to do, it's not in vain. When Paul left Thessalonica to go to Corinth, it would have been so easy for him to feel like a failure. He didn't accomplish what he wanted. Things outside of his control had happened that caused him to have to leave. 
But I want you to know that heaven looked on Paul's work in Thessalonica as a smashing success. And that's what God sees when he looks at you and you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, even if it seems like it isn't working. Can I tell you, progress isn't always visible. You might want to write that down with a Velocity Church pen that you stole. Come on, you know you've got 83 of them at home still. It's all right. Just consider it a gift. But progress isn't always visible. Sometimes there are things going on that you can't always see. And sometimes your progress doesn't look like progress. Sometimes it looks like disappointment. Sometimes it looks like discouragement. Sometimes it looks like frustration. Sometimes it looks like it's going the wrong way. You just keep doing your part. Don't give up even when it feels like you're not making a difference. Just recognize you are inside the process. And that's what I've noticed, is that it's always easier to want to give up when you're in the middle of the process. I mean, it's always fun to begin something new. It's after you've been doing it for a while that fatigue begins to set in. I mean, new is easy. Progress is hard. The start can be fun. The process is hard. You want to know what's fun? Making a baby. You want to know what's hard? Having a baby. You want to know what's really rough is raising multiple children. I mean, it's fun when you're zapping stuff at Target for the baby registry. But now that I've been doing this for a while, I wish I could just zap my kids into good behavior. Come on, parents, if you're on the chat, just say amen to that if I am speaking the truth. Because it's difficult. It's not easy. It's funny, though, because Paul actually uses this language when speaking to the Thessalonians. He says this process is a lot like parenting. You can pick it up in the seventh verse of chapter two. He says, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. But what Paul is showing us is that not everyone is going to be coming around you and patting you on the back when you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. I mean, sometimes you're the one who's supposed to give and serve and not be waiting for someone to recognize it because that's what it means to be a leader, because that's what it means to be a parent. Now, hearing all of this, you might be like, wow, that sounds rough. I mean, it's no wonder that Paul was so emotional. Or maybe you're wondering how Paul could even say that his time there was not without results when so much of what was meaningful really wasn't measurable. Well, that's because Paul had inside information. He knew you had to see the outcome from the inside. I want you to notice what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. He says, And we also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God. Notice this last part, which is indeed at work in you who believe. See, the word is at work in you. Those were the results that he was looking for. Paul knew the results were in. And I wonder what results you've been focusing on that you haven't seen yet. 
Can I just encourage you? Give God a little bit of time to work it out. I mean, just because you prayed for something on Wednesday and you didn't see it on Thursday doesn't mean that God's not working on it. God does his best work from the inside. Give it time. You see, this is the kind of message that's going to enable you to stand in the gap when God doesn't come through just when you wanted him to. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean he didn't speak it. And just because you can't feel it doesn't mean that he's not going to finish it. The results are in and the word is at work inside of you. Instead of looking for God to show up in a way that's external, maybe we need to trust that he's growing us in a way that's internal. Perhaps the greatest work we'll ever see God do isn't something we're going to see God do for us, but something that God does in us. And I'll tell you why. Because this same phrase that Paul used to talk about his work with the Thessalonians is the exact same phrase that Paul used to talk about God's work with him. And I want to read it to you. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. Paul wrote this. He said, but whatever I am now, it's all because God poured out such kindness and grace upon me and not without results. For I've worked harder than all the other apostles, yet actually I wasn't doing it, but God working in me to bless me. Now, Corinth is the place that he was when he was writing this letter to the Thessalonian church. And maybe when he was writing this letter to them, he was remembering back, thinking about the time he was there, and God showed him the results are in. You see, every external expression of our faith is closely linked to the internal work God orchestrates within our hearts. Every act of worship is an outward expression of our personal admiration for God. Every step of obedience we take is a statement of how deeply we value God's instruction in our heart. Every decision to give generously is made from a place of gratitude within us. So Paul says, everything I've been able to do and everything I've been able to achieve is because God has poured out his grace on my life. Anything I've done is because God graced me for it. And that grace was not without results because God was working in me. I'm not looking to the things I've done out there. I'm looking to what God has done in here. In short, the results are in. They're inside. It's contrary to the way most of us measure our success. I mean, you might be looking at the season trying to figure out if you've made the most of it. You know, did you read some books? Did you develop some new habits? Did you do all the spring cleaning that you wanted to do? Did you finally get that work done that's been hanging out around the house? Did you get all that stuff done? Look, I hope you did all of that. But if you didn't, I want to encourage you not to measure the success of the season with external results. In fact, think about Paul's life for just a minute. For all of his accomplishments, the greatest thing he did was something he never planned to do. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. But he didn't know he was writing the New Testament when he was writing the New Testament. He had to write letters to the churches 
out of necessity, not out of strategy. Paul was a missionary. His heart was to travel and to take the gospel to places it had never been. Unfortunately, much of Paul's ministry was spent sheltered in place behind prison doors. If he was to measure his life by his external results, he would have had to measure them a failure. And within that statement I just made is really a picture of how the grace of God works in your life. Because when things didn't go according to his plan, God graced him for it. You see, Paul's original method for ministry would have allowed him to reach hundreds, maybe thousands of people. But God's plan for Paul used him to write scripture that would reach generation after generation. That's the power of God's grace. It wasn't the plan, but it was part of the purpose. And God wants to do the same thing for you. In fact, the greatest thing that God will ever do for you happens on the inside. It's not something you can measure from the outside. It's inviting Jesus into your life to change you from the inside out. And if you're here watching this today and you've never made that decision, it would be my privilege to lead you in a prayer to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Scripture says when you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for your sin, that that's how you're saved. It's not magic words. It's faith-filled words that change you from the inside. The results are in. If you'd like to do that today, I'd love to lead you in a prayer. At our church, nobody prays alone. We all pray this together. So for those of you who are watching with your family, I would just ask that you would say this out loud for the benefit of those who are watching with you. Let's pray this. You want to make Jesus the Lord of your life. You can raise your hand. You can click on the banner. You can indicate in the chat. But let's say this together. Lord Jesus, I acknowledge my need for you. I believe in what you did for me. How you died on the cross for my sin. And you got up from the grave. Come into my life. Live in me. So that I can live in you. I receive your gift of grace right now. In Jesus' name, amen.